Oh, hello, and welcome to the Community Experience Podcast. We are so glad you're here. If you're one of our regulars, you're probably wondering why we haven't published in a while. We actually chose to sunset the show in early 2023, but the feed will stay active because so many of the episodes are timeless. If you want to learn more and search our back catalog, you can visit smartpassiveincome.com slash cxpodcast, all one word. Hey, we have an amazing event coming up, the Expert Advantage Workshop Series, where every day for a week, starting on Monday, May 20th, it's myself and another expert coming on to present to you about various kinds of things to help you with your brand and your business. Our brand new experts in residence and pro are gonna be there to co-host these workshops with me, and you're not gonna wanna miss it. You'll have a chance to ask all of them questions, and it's completely free to join. All you have to do is go to smartpassiveincome.com slash advantage. On Monday, May 20th, Amy Nelson's gonna come on, and we're gonna talk social media, but specifically how to drive revenue and connect with important stakeholders that matter to you in your business using social media. The next day, we have Noshin Chen, and she's gonna lead a presentation about how to become a better communicator, how to increase those skills faster, because that's gonna help you not just connect with new people, new clients, but also get your idea across better ton of takeaways in that presentation. And all you have to do to sign up and join and get all the links that you need is smartpassiveincome.com slash advantage. Again, one more time, smartpassiveincome.com slash advantage. Join us on our Expert Advantage workshop series. You're not gonna wanna miss it. Again, smartpassiveincome.com slash advantage. Moving away from this kind of corporate speak of changing the world and then just being like, here's what we actually do and we're listening to our people. What does our talent want? What do our customers want, right? What does our community want? It's an important shift because it was all usually about, here's how great we are. Here's what we're doing. Come get the Patagonia vest with our logo, all the benefits and the ping pong tables and the free kombucha and blah, blah, blah. And now it's, wait a second, what are people asking for? Well, actually, childcare. <laughs> well, hello, it must be Tuesday because a new episode of The Community Experience is dropping now. I'm your hostess, host. I can't decide what I want to say. What do you think? I'm the person that talks a lot, Jillian Benbow. And today I am interviewing Adam Smiley Pozwalski, who thankfully goes by Smiley because we all know I can't pronounce anything. And Smiley is amazing. He is an internationally renowned keynote speaker, workplace belonging expert, and best-selling author. He has a TED Talk with about 2 million views at the time of this recording. He does speaking engagements all over the place including Fortune 500 companies, all the stages. And he's written a bunch of books, including The Quarter Life Breakthrough and Friendship in the Age of Loneliness. So we get into everything. Um, if you know me, you know I love a tangent and a tangent I take this episode. And Smiley is very gracious about that. But ultimately, we're talking about human connection. That's kind of the overlapping theme, tangents aside, and just how how we connect and thus become community. And I think this will be a enjoyable experience, even with the tangents. Uh, we talk about a lot of things like office culture and how we identify, right? Like, is my personality, is my persona all about community building? Or is that just a piece of me? And what parts of us we kind of highlight versus not? Anyways, let's get into the episode. You can hear all about what I'm talking about. And then in the outro, we can dig in. So here is Smiley on this episode of the Community Experience Podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Community Experience Podcast. Today, we have Adam Smiley Pozwalski. Did I do it right? Got it. Oh, good. Okay. Who goes by Smiley? So 
that's much easier. I love this. Smiley, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Jillian. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm excited. I was totally creeping on your LinkedIn and your YouTube and your website recently. And I just love what you're doing. And so our audience, if you haven't heard of Smiley yet, you will now. You're an internationally renowned keynote speaker, no big deal. And you have a TED Talk you are a obviously a speaker. You're also an author of, I have two things on this list, but I think it might be three. Three books. I think we got three. So we've got The Quarter Life Breakthrough, Friendship in the Age of Loneliness. And the third one is about speaking and it's not on my list. So I can't say the title. What is the title of it? The Breakthrough Speaker. Hey, there you go. So you're not busy at all. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. So tell us about... I think what's most fascinating, of course, besides that you obviously have the drive to get your message out there is what you're talking about. And a lot of what you talk about, obviously, is friendship, belonging, and specifically workplace community and how to foster that sense of community in a workplace. How did you get into all of this? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I generally, my philosophy with kind of writing and creative work is kind of the, the write what you know and write what comes out of your experience and write the book that you wish you had. All three of my books kind of came out of my own journey and challenges at a specific kind of time in my life. So the first one, Quarter Life Breakthrough, is really about being a millennial and kind of coming of age post-recession, the last one. <laughs> I'm a little bit old. I'm almost 40 years old. And kind of joining the workforce and then realizing that you can find something that on paper looks great and everyone else is really impressed by and pays the bills and checks all the boxes, job security, healthcare, salary that impresses the parents and people at happy hour, but actually isn't what you want to do. And what that quest for meaningful work looks like and kind of being in what people call quarter life crisis, a third life crisis, midlife crisis. Mine was almost at the age of 30. So I called it a quarter life crisis <laughs> and kind of wrote this book of uh, the quarter life breakthrough, which is all about kind of my journey to find meaningful work. How do you find meaningful work and also pay the bills? How do you surround yourself with a community that can support you in that journey? Kind of writing the career book that I wish I had a lot of interviews, a lot of research on what millennials were looking for what the next generation is looking for in terms of purpose in the workplace. And then, yeah, my most recent book, which is probably most relevant to this audience, is really about friendship and community and in the age of loneliness. We're currently experiencing, and we're actually experiencing before the pandemic, a loneliness epidemic in the United States and across the world. Nearly three quarters, uh, excuse me, two-thirds of Americans are lonely, 70% of millennials, 80% of Gen Z. That was before COVID-19, before two years of social isolation, lockdown, social distancing, masks, people moving to much more remote work, and kind of my own experience of being an extroverted, kind of outgoing, happy person that at least prior to 2020 was, I made a living going to events. I literally spent my life at events meeting people, and yet I was feeling lonely, and I was feeling kind of detached from my community. And I wrote this book to kind of say, hey, to normalize this a little bit. Like if I'm feeling this, I'm sure a lot of other people are too. We're in this together. Why is it that we only spend 4% of our time with our friends, 4%? And meanwhile, we're spending so much time on social media, technology, all these other things, which can be great tools, but it's not the same as kind of deep, meaningful connection and friendship. So that, that was kind of the inspiration for this last book. Oh my gosh. I, could, I mean, we could fill the whole episode with just follow-up questions to what you just said. <laughs> so much there. And it's so true. And I think it's sweet that you had a quarter-life crisis at 30 because I feel like from like 21 to 34, I was it. you know, like I, I think I've been in life crises more than I've not right. <laughs> as an adult. <laughs> and, and it's so relatable, right? And so much of it, I think, is a lot of us are so disenchanted with the quote unquote American dream, or if you're not in America, just the, you know, I guess the capitalism <laughs> dream of like you, you pull yourself up by the bootstraps and you, and you do all that you check all the boxes that you're told you need to check, which are like, go to school, maybe go to university, get the job, buy the house, get married, have a kid, you know, get the dog or the cat, you know, whichever. Play golf. <laughs> and, yeah. And like, so you do all the things and then you're like, I don't feel that fulfilled. <laughs> <laughs> and and to what you were saying about 
Well, you alluded to this and I know you've spoken about it, so I'll get into it. It is um, just, there's this dichotomy of reality versus the highlight reel in social media. And I think we're all like, oh, well, you have to go to work to make money and then you use that money to live, but also do things. And so then you have to work to maintain all these bills. You ha- Now you have a mortgage, you can't quit your job, you know, and, and, and we're in this like rat race cycle and it's like, maybe this isn't great. <laughs> Yeah, just like I think the social kind of contract has kind of eroded. And I think actually uh, Gen Zers see right through this <laughs> specifically, especially they're, you know, joining the workforce now, which just think about all the instability in the last two years, if not four years and inflation and student debt and all of these things. And people are just like, wait a second, I'm supposed to be unhappy <laughs> for 20, 30, 40 years, then like there's some light at the end of the tunnel where you're 65, the 401k kicks in, you get social security, you retire, you play golf, like you're good. It's like, this doesn't doesn't make any sense. It's also not available, applicable to almost anyone because of the nature of technology, AI, globalization, things are changing so quickly. Even if you wanted to, you probably couldn't stay in the same job for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. Very few people that's going to be their their situation. Yet we're still kind of modeling career growth like that. And we're kind of still in this old school mindset. And college is still incredibly not affordable. And in many ways, doesn't give people the jobs that it says it was going to, besides for maybe some majors and you know computer science majors at Stanford University. It's just not realistic. And it, it's broken. And I think that that's a big issue. And I think that that's, you know, you're seeing there's there's definitely a correlation there, if not causal, correlated between why we're seeing such increased rates of anxiety, depression, stress, burnout among young people. Frankly, teen suicide, obviously, for very young people is on the rise, incredibly linked to kind of the rise of the smartphone, the rise of social media. I was just reading some new data from Sapien Labs. They're a nonprofit that does mental health work that said that as many as half of young adults worldwide, half of young adults worldwide. So this is not just US, not just kind of, you know, the most advanced economic countries have experienced a, a deterioration in the social, their social self and a link of symptoms that can't be said to like one thing in the DSM, which is kind of the, you know, psychological, like you have this issue or this is your mental health diagnostic thing. It's a lot of things, many different things, all kind of related to feeling a lack of kind of the social self and having a sense of community and being part of something and growing up in this world, I think makes people feel that way. So there are a lot of ways to address that and help that. And, you know, mine is just a little tiny sliver, but I think anyone doing community building work is somehow part of that. What is your definition of the social self? I like that term. It's not my term. I actually don't, (laughs) I don't know what they're using, you know, and I probably should look it up just to kind of give, give folks a sense. uh, And I'll do that on the back end here. But for me, you know, when I think of it as just feeling like you have a support system, feeling like you belong, feeling like there's people that have your back, they're using it social self score, an aggregate metric that describes how we see ourselves and interact with others. Oh, and now that you've said it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. No, the how we see ourselves thing, I think, is a big, big piece of why people are scoring so low. They see themselves as less than they see themselves as less accomplished or less cool or not as amazing as the highlight reels of everyone. But you start talking to people and like everyone's struggling and everyone's going through the same thing. Because we don't spend as much time with people in real life, we don't get to know that. We don't break through the kind of facade. It also takes a vulnerability, right? I mean, because you and I could hang out in real life and kind of toxic positivity our way through like an experience. We go... You go have coffee and you're like, oh, how are you doing? Great. You too. Cool. And then talking about whatever. Meanwhile, I'm thinking like, gosh, you know, Smiley has his life so together and I'm such a mess. And, you know, and I, but I wouldn't, maybe I'm not going to talk about it because it's like, well, we're having fun. I don't want to be a downer talking about how I feel less than in every avenue of my life or, or you know, or whatever. It's like, he doesn't want to hear that. It's very interesting. It reminds me of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but it's a social needs, right? And I'm sure someone's made a very brilliant science-backed version of that, that's of the social requirements. I see this a lot. Uh, I have a 13-year-old daughter, and I see this a lot with her and her friends and, you know, the TikToks and the snaps and 
all the stuff that they're doing and like, they're always connected, but not at all at the same time. Right. Like they will be sending things to each other constantly. Like it's just recently took a bunch of them in the car, like down to Denver, which is like an hour and a half from where I live. I'm up in the mountains and all of them, like you could be engaging and having a conversation, but they're all also snapping each other in the car than other people. Like it's just, I'm exhausted and I can't imagine just sidebar being a preteen teenager and having social media. I'm so thankful. None of that existed back in the day. Like cell phones weren't even a thing. And if they were, they were a Nokia brick, you know, <laughs> totally the snake. Phone. Anyways. Yeah. So I'm curious, what advice do you have to people who do feel like that? I mean, we can talk about it specific to the workplace, but just in general, I think it's valuable. We are all human and need human connection. So we don't have to silo it. <laughs> totally. Um, yeah, just, just to, to piggyback on that. I mean, I consider myself the, the Oregon Trail generation <laughs> playing like Oregon Trail, getting dysentery. You died of dysentery. Yeah, you died of <laughs> dysentery. And like, you know, we grew up like we understood technology, like AOL Instant Messenger, like, you know, and we got email and, but I, with freshman year of college, didn't, most people didn't have, have a cell phone actually through almost until maybe like junior, senior year. Yeah. Wherever we all had desktops. I am so grateful that I like came of age and learned how to make friends and learned who I was. That's the biggest piece. Learned who I was and had a sense of, well, not just social self, self <laughs> in a pre-social media era. Because I think, I mean, I know these kids, kids will be fine. They're, you know, I've spent a lot of time with young people and teenagers and college kids. Like they're great. They're going to be awesome. They're socially, they're so active. They have such amazing values. Like they're driven. They're going to be okay. But I just have a lot of, <laughs> I'm just grateful that, that that is not the world that I grew up in. But actually related to the children piece, I think one of the big things, not speaking about the workplace, but just in general around friendship and is kind of the first section of my book is called Be More Playful. I think that there is something about this idea when you get to be an adult that you have to have all the answers, you have to do the right thing, you have to kind of get in line when actually the right approach is play. You know, I write in my book a lot about this experience of going to Camp Grounded, which I think I know Jillian Richardson's been on your podcast and has probably talked about. I was a counselor at Camp Grounded. It was a summer camp for adults that my friend had started. It's a tech-free summer camp for adults. You were on the other side of this, right? Because, yeah, so Jillian, who was our first guest and is such a delight, she was talking about how everyone, like, made names. No real names. Like, she was lady. Yeah. Right, which is, like, <laughs> funny, but also actually a really important design, you know, tool to give people a sense of not being tied to your LinkedIn identity. Maybe someone is working at Facebook or working <laughs> at Instagram and comes to camp and is like, maybe I don't want to be identified as that. Or maybe I don't want to be identified as the personal brand they are on social media. Or maybe, the, you know, whoever they have sold a company for lots of money, but want to do something completely different, or they're broken, unemployed and don't want to be identified with that. But whatever it is, having the nickname Cookie Surprise or Popcorn gets you to just jump into your own self. So play, creativity, channeling that inner child. If you think about it, when you're a kid, like your job is to make friends. Like it's recess, like go play. Like, do you want to play? I want to play. I'm doing this. Do you want to join? No. Okay. I'm, you're going to go do that. That's kind of the only rule. <laughs> and then that kind of withers away and you're supposed to kind of get in line as you get older but creating more opportunities for play. And so whatever that looks like for people, and that could be improv, that could be doing something you've never done before. That could be, you know, in the context of work for two minutes at the start of a meeting, doing a little exercise, right? An icebreaker could just be dancing at the start of a meeting or just anything that kind of is something different. Play is kind of that ability to channel the new, the different, the exciting, the curiosity. I think goes a long way to creating the environment where people are their true selves, where then they can make closer connections and become friends with other people. I have to ask, what do you have? So Cookie Surprise is pretty amazing, but were there any like superbly excellent names? Oh, there's so many good ones. What's like a, just like off the top of your head, like a top name? Bricky, Bricky St. James, Bubbles, Honey Bear, oh, Ocelot. That's so fun. Did you have a name? Well, my nickname is Smiley. It was kind of cheating. I also sometimes go by Barry LaCroix Esquire. 
Barry, not Barry, B-A-R-R-Y, Barry LaCroix. (laughs) That's even better. Yes. (laughs) Uh, That's fantastic. I love that. Yeah, I think play and also just like the concept of like leaning into like, just be you, you know, I've never been good at being an adult. (laughs) I've never been good at being an adult, frankly, but to me, a lot of it feels like pretend, you know, like we're pretending to run a business. It's all like, it's all, it's all meaningless really. And so I have a hard time playing along very seriously because I just kind of see all of it as just kind of a joke. And and that, that concept, like, especially becoming a parent, I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And I'm realizing that my parents didn't either, you know, like when I look at them and I just assume they knew all the things and it, and it was, there was a piece of safety to that, but turns out it was all, a lie, you know, not an intentional or manipulative lie, but like nobody knows what they're doing. It also explains a lot about your own childhood when you're like, God, my parents, like, what the, you know, and it's like, oh, well, they were just shooting from the hip too. Like you're, you're just reacting to life. And I think realizing that I'm like, I can't pretend to be this very serious professional person because I just am not. And if you ask me a question, I'm not going to like give you this PR answer and, you know, good thing I don't work in PR because I couldn't do it. And I think it's actually really helped me in a way like, yeah, I might come across a little silly or whatever sometimes, and you still have to have hard conversations and do the things, but it's also like a relief, you know, it's like, ah, I don't know. And so when people ask me about like community building and things, they'll be like, yeah, oh yeah, we tried that. It was an epic fail. Like we didn't know what we we're doing and, but we learned this about it. And I think that's such a more valuable conversation than trying to kind of like save face and, and hold airs about like, oh, yeah, so, you know, I know everything about everything. It, and it helps kind of jumpstart some connections with people because they'll be like, oh, OK, we don't have to like play the game. We can just talk and like real talk about things, you know, just having that sense of trust and being like, yeah, let's talk about it. Totally. I feel like what you're saying is kind of if you're real, you're vulnerable and you're just open of where you're at and you're honest, that creates the environment that other people feel like they could do the same. It's it's that kind of permission slip. And it's it's kind of like when you see, you know, there's that video, YouTube video, it's like some guy kind of like dancing and just like everyone's sitting and being like, who is this guy dancing? It's just like he's on some field dancing and he's just like completely dancing like out there in his own thing. And and then like one like woman joins him starting to dance. You know, and then everyone's like, what? And then like four or three, couple more people. And then like by like two seconds, you know, 20 seconds later, everyone's just dancing. But it's kind of, we need more people to give those little hints and give those little permission slips. Get it going. Get it going. Yeah, that's so true about people running communities, I think, have that responsibility. But also companies and like work culture, it's the same sort of thing. If you come into a company and you see the people dancing and they're like, okay, it really is like that. And then, so you're like, okay, I can, you know, let's do this versus if you come in and they're like, oh yeah, it's a super fun place to work. And then you get there and it's all just not at all. And no one's dancing and it's very like formal. And you're like, Hmm, I thought they said it was a good place to work. (laughs) Right. And if you think about it, just in terms of onboarding, right? Like there's so many, especially for young people, the experience of onboarding, getting joining a job in, let's say, in the in the pandemic or wait, where you haven't met any of your colleagues. Now, if you're someone in your late 30s or 40s, 50s, and you know you join a job that's full time remote, it's probably okay because you probably had the experience of being in the office or working with a manager before, or maybe you get it. You had to understand office politics. If it's your first job post school or in your early 20s. And it's like you're full remote and it's like all you get is a PDF that's 300 pages of here's what everything you know need to know about working here. Can you imagine how off-putting that is versus the experience of either doing an in-person onboarding or at least a video, a live video where you're getting to know people and you're getting to talk to people and connect with people. And it's not less about the information and more about the experience and getting to connect with your coworkers and your future team. I mean, I think it's such a subtle, it's another design thing, but if you're just giving someone information, that's not really what they're looking for when they're joining a company or frankly ever. <laughs> I mean, yes, we need information, but usually what people are looking for, especially when they're joining a new team or when they're kind of judging a culture 
is connection, is people, is the permission to not know, is the permission to ask questions, is to have doubts and say, I don't know if I agree with this or what about this? Or have you thought about this? Or I'm nervous. I'm scared about this. Are you scared too? Okay, cool. We're both scared. We can be friends. I trust you. Oh, it's so true. And that whole concept, less about information and more about experience. Like, yes, I can't imagine. I'd never really thought about what you just said in that, like, you know, I worked in offices in different in-person environments and then went remote and have been remote, you know, like for well over a decade. I don't, I couldn't even imagine going into an office again, but I had that experience so that when the transition to remote happened, I still understood just the dynamics and politics of what it is to work on a team and all of that. I can't even imagine like coming out of school and then getting a remote job and being like, okay, like just being able to understand like Slack culture and how to do that and how to communicate in that way and build relationships in that way, but also hop on a Zoom and be able to like, I don't want to say code switch, but that's what comes to mind when it's like you have the relationships you have with people individually, then you come onto a Zoom, you're not going to be quite as like silly, whatever, just like going into a conference room versus the water cooler conversations and all of that, just all of it. It's got to be tough. Yeah. And I think you'll often find that people, at least in a more kind of traditional culture, office culture, and let's say older office culture, will complain about young people not having kind of the etiquette or, you know, file it under etiquette or or kind of behavioral stuff. And that's, and I say, well, cool. Have you trained them? (laughs) Is there an in-person experience where people are understanding or shadowing or getting mentored or having kind of those career sponsorship opportunities where they can follow people and learn and ask questions? Or are you just expecting that they should know things because it's, it's just different and you can't expect people to know how things go. And you should also kind of say, hey, this is how we've been doing things for 10, 15, 20 years. Maybe we need to switch things up a little bit. Right. The Well, this is the way we've always done it. Like anybody who says that, I'm immediately like red flags. No, no, no. Hold on. <laughs> That's a terrible way to run your business. You go and like speak to Fortune 500 companies. I'm assuming probably also smaller companies just about this sort of thing. Is there anything... And what you're talking about, it's almost like cultural onboarding, right? So is there kind of a, a can, like what's, what are like the basics that every company should be checking? Yeah. I mean, I think that it's shifting so quickly. You know, that's the thing about this work, especially in the wake of the last two years. But I'm a big believer that we're moving away from kind of the employer company centric we're so great. Look at our mission. Look at our values. Look at our website, a reputational kind of clout and more to the powers with the employee. What do our people want? So I have a slide that I kind of, you know, talk about kind of reimagining purpose. So I think traditionally it's been this like people want to work for you if you're changing the world. You know, that's, that's a very, I don't know how much uh, TV you watch these days, but there's quite a few millennial, I call them like millennial founder scandal shows. <laughs> like we crashed and the super pump, the Uber show, even you could put inventing Anna maybe in that category or the dropout Elizabeth Holmes. Now, all of these are basically millennials coming up with ideas, some of them very impressive ideas and talking a lot about changing the world, but having incredibly poor workplace cultures right? And using kind of purpose. And these are extreme examples, right? There are a lot of companies that have great purpose. But the point being, moving away from this kind of, let's call it corporate speak of changing the world, and then just being like, here's what we actually do. And we're listening to our people, right? What do our people want? What do our, what does our talent want? What do our customers want, right? What do our clients want? What does our community want? It's an important shift because it, it was all usually about, here's how great we are. Here's what we're doing. This is why you want to work with us. Come get the Patagonia vest with our logo. And we're amazing. And all the benefits and the ping pong tables and the free kombucha and blah, 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 blah. That was basically like a lot of, let's say, the last 10, 15 years of venture capital back tech and even, frankly, a lot of business. And now it's, wait a second. What are people asking for? Well, actually, childcare. <laughs> yeah, a livable wage. <laughs> a, a, li- a, a living wage, paid family leave. <laughs> yeah. Right? Flexible work, healthcare, mental health support, elder care, right? Parent support groups, DEI, 
right? Like having women on your board, having people of color on your board, this type of stuff. And so it's a big shift. So it's this kind of real kind of change from all about us as the community to all about your people, listening to your people. So simple in theory, very hard to execute in practice. And very few companies are actually good at that. Yes. Yes to all of it. And and it's it, just as a, a quick sidebar, I think it's interesting. There's so many, you're, I'm noticing so many tech companies that invested a ton of money into the ping pong and the beer on tap and all the stuff to make people want to spend all their time in a physical location are now fighting with the actual realization that those people want to work from home continue. And they're like, Hey, time to come back. Everyone's boosted. Everyone's vaccinated. And everyone's like, yeah, I prefer to work. I would like to stay at home. Please. Thank you. And they're like, Oh, well we have this huge overhead and this attempt to make you all live here, you know? And so there's this interesting, the budding heads of, we want to stay remote. And I think it's hilarious. And I work at a fully remote company that has always been that way. So it's, you know, it's great. But seeing these companies kind of be like, (laughs) no, (laughs) you know, and it's like, oh, you don't actually care. You're like, look, we we promote balance. Let's play ping pong. When we talk in this meeting, it's like, you don't promote balance. You promote toxic work habits. Overwork. But yeah. 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 I mean, this has become a huge thing. And there's not, I think it's important to note that there's not a simple answer. Like there are going to be certain cultures, certain projects, certain teams at certain companies based on what they do, where it is true that spending more time in person would be valuable for their work. That's not going to be the case across the board. And I think that there is actually something to be said for, well, I'll say this. It's not an either or. To me, when it comes to all this stuff, it's a yes and. It's a balance because on the one hand, I think that the, you know, in person, you're here, get your haircut here, dinner's here, basically so that you're working 12 hours, never leave is incredibly toxic, is incredibly not inclusive, right? And it's incredibly unhealthy for people to have healthy family lives, healthy lives outside of work, balance, rest, and not, and avoid burnout. On the flip side, I think if we have, complete flexibility and autonomy without expectations or even kind of, you want to call them expectation norms around people coming together, could be virtually, but hopefully in person, then you do get a lot of disconnection and the loneliness goes up, right? And it's not, there's a lot of data that shows that people working remotely are perform just as well, right? In terms of their productivity, but there's also a lot of data kind of showing how disconnected people are and how much they miss their coworkers, and that you have to design for human connection, both in the in-person context and the virtual context and the hybrid context. So it's a little bit of a yes and, and it's a little bit of a figuring it out. But I agree that most companies, there is this tendency that the company feels that if they can't see you, they don't think you're working. You know, if someone's doing their job, if you can't tell if someone's doing their job, then you should have hired them in the first place or you did like, it's not a real position. They're either getting what they need to get done, done, or they're not. And you do not need to see them in person all the time or surveil them online to know that. Absolutely. And it's interesting because there's both sides, right? There are people that just do not perform, whether it's in person or remote for whatever reason, and maybe they're having a life challenge, you know, whatever it is, but it's just like, there's no noticeable output. And it's like, okay, let's talk about that. Let's figure this out. You have to solve for like any sort of employee issues. But if you have a team and you're like, yep, we're doing good, but you see, you don't trust them. Like there's a big problem and it's you, frankly, like if you're not creating an environment where it's like, I trust you. You were properly trained. You know what to do. We have clear communication on what the expectations and results are, you know, the KPIs, all of that. I'm going to trust you to do it. And I'm going to trust that you'll come to me if you need help. Not saying that. And then you never talk to them again until, you know, but point being, if they're getting the work done, you're good. One thing that I am like not grappling with, but I think is a big conversation. And, you know, I speak a lot about belonging in the workplace. I know you had David Spinks on and it's an important topic, right? I think obviously that there's so much data that shows that employees who experience high levels of belonging or uh, they do better work, they're less sick, less turnover, all these things. Also, belonging is just an important thing for creating a humane, just, equitable, inclusive, thriving society, right? A society where people can be themselves, can don't have to hide who they are. 
is just good for humanity and good for democracy. But there is this line, right? There is, I think, traditionally, when you can go a little bit, you know, I, I speak about friendship in the workplace and connection, community at work. Generally, I think those are good things. However, going back to the millennial scandal TV shows, if it's like we work Adam Newman circa, you know, let's say 10 years ago, you got to come to the summer camp and get wasted. And then you got to stay at happy hour. We're a family. Like it's Saturday morning. Come connect. Like that's just, it's over the top. Now that could lead to belonging, right? That can lead to quote unquote community because the more time you spend with someone, you have all these things that you're doing together, but that's toxic. You're hung over together. You're hung over <laughs> together. Of course, that's really not, you know, available to parents or to people that don't drink, which is a lot of people to people that aren't 27, right? <laughs> so there's this kind of, we want to create belonging, we want to create connection, but the family piece. There's like this line at which it's like, let's, we're all a family. It's like, eh. you know, Casper Turkile, who I, I'm sure you all are familiar with and maybe have had on the show, wrote a great book called The Power of Ritual. He does a lot of kind of community building work. And he says, you know, it's like, how can we be in real community if I can fire you? Thank you, Casper. I'm not familiar, but we should have him on. He's incredible. You should definitely have him on. But it's a beautiful line. And it's not to say that, Having dinners with your coworkers is amazing and having these rituals around gratitude and caring about them and knowing what's going on inside their lives and with their family is great. But there is a line. <laughs> there is a line. There's a boundary. Yeah. There's a boundary that's which it's like, well, actually, we're coworkers and I'm not your mom. I'm not your dad. And we're not a family because, A, I'm paying you. <laughs> There's a transactional <laughs> situation it's, here. It's a transactional and relationship. Yeah. Financially, this doesn't work out. I can fire you. I want what's best for you, but we're not a family, right? And I think that when people go too far in that, it creates really, it can get very toxic very quickly. Yeah, I I always kind of snark about Salesforce and their whole Ohana thing. Never mind that it's like, are you Native Hawaiian? I don't think you should be using that word. But also just the just the concept of like, oh, and that, you know, and they have the big events and it's cool. Like I, they they put a lot into... I understand the intention. They put a lot into the employee experience or so, you know, so they say they're, I would probably put them in one of, and I haven't worked for them. So anybody listening, like, and I just don't like their product, but they very much have that vibe of like, look at us. We're amazing. We had Coldplay play at this event that we booked out this arena and, you know, all these things, but yeah, it's, but then there's a layoff. Right. And it's like, let's, let's circle back to the Ohana. (laughs) Because last time I checked, your family's your family, whether you want it to be or not sometimes, right? Yeah, it's it's a lot. And I think this is shifting. I think this is a shift that's happening with the kind of some of the things we're talking about. You know, the same thing of that used to be culture fit, right? So I'm thinking about kind of, uh, I've just been reading a book about Zappos. So Zappos had this whole thing around employee happiness and culture fit. And basically, like, they were hiring people if they were happy people, <laughs> Now, this is, I think, in in theory, I get how this could work, right? You customer service is their brand. I mean, they to be fair, Zappos, you know, completely changed the game when it came to customer service. They, you know, the whole thing to free delivery, you buy don't like your shoes, six months later you can get a free pair of shoes, you lose a sh- like they're amazing. And they completely changed the norms on some of this stuff. But I think this idea of culture fit is like, well, wait a second. What if someone who's introverted and not that positive, optimistic, they could be an incredible member of the team. Maybe they're adding something completely different. They don't have to be a happy person. This is maybe they need to work there in order to be happy, or maybe they are or suffer from, you know, mental health challenges or depression. And that actually is their unique value add. And when we kind of go too far in the culture fit, we get a lot of people, frankly, that look like you or that are similar to you, which is not great for culture and not great for business. So I think that there's this kind of shift happening of uh, traditionally how people viewed some of these things to what does it look like to think more broadly, more more inclusively, and more in a kind of a, a 2.0 version of what community belonging look like at work. It's And it's so easy, like, and we see this all the time. I see this in like kind of modern feminism a lot. Like there's this intention that's good. 
and it inadvertently becomes very exclusive and then defensive. And so like the Zappos example is a great one. Like toxic positivity is not necessarily a great brand vibe, but I see their intention behind it. And to your point, there might be someone who's very quiet or is kind of not angry, but maybe would be be considered, you know, quote unquote, angry or aggressive or whatever. And so like, oh, does that fit our like narrow little thing? And in reality, they'd be amazing at customer service because that takes a lot of different types of people. And just because you're happy doesn't mean you can solve problems, (laughs) you know, like you can be like, I can't help you with that. Sorry, that's not helpful versus someone like, let's fix it. Think about it past But yeah, it reminds me of a lot of things going on in the feminist world right now where white women are, let's make merch and pink hats and not considering there's a whole other group of women who you're just like ignoring till you need them and then get mad when they call you out on it. This is very much a danger in community in particular, and not just workplace communities, of course, obviously, we were just talking about those, but even just community building, you want it to be this happy place where everyone gets along and in doing so you don't realize that you're making especially marginalized groups very uncomfortable they don't feel safe and then you wonder why it's not growing right and so i'd love to hear what your thoughts are back into you know zappos and these missteps i guess we'll call them like intended for good missteps like What's a good way to kind of check yourself before you wreck yourself, right? It's a broad question. Yeah, it kind of depends. I mean, I think that just from a guiding principle, kind of having an open, like modeling the we don't know (laughs) more than we know the answer is probably the best place to start. And kind of being open-minded, asking lots of questions, admitting mistakes, admitting missteps. First of all, just having more women, more people of color in positions of leadership on a board in executive roles, I think creates less missteps and more opportunity for kind of frank, honest dialogue and and better design at, at the forefront, just in general, having accountability when it comes to not just saying what you're doing, but actually being like, hey, measuring it and saying, hey, we got this wrong, or here's where we're at, we totally missed our targets. Maybe when it comes to hiring, or when it comes to DEI stuff, or when it comes to changing policies, and so that it's not just kind of speak and it's it's like kind of walking the walk, not just talking the talk. But I don't think that there's one answer and I don't presume to kind of know the answers. But I think it starts with kind of having the open mind and being real. And again, it's like, I also think that this, the changing the world thing, it's like, let's just be real. Like we make CRM software, but we are really good at it. And we take care of our people and our customers. Amazing. Great. Versus we're changing the world. It's like just be real. I think the accountability, like the the honesty there, the transparency there is so much more refreshing than like, I think people just kind of see past that. And it starts, it's just like, oh, great. You're, we're a co-working space. We, we provide co-working office space for you to do your best work. Amazing. Versus like, we're building the ama- communities that are going to transform consciousness. It's like, eh, it's, there's a desk and there's coffee and good lighting. That's great. I'm a cool with that. But I'm good with that. I need a desk and good lighting and coffee. Those are great things. I need that. Thank you. Thank you. We got super strong internet. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'll take it. Well, you know, and it brings up such a great point of, I think there is this pressure both and like across the scale. So companies from a fortune 500 company down to your neighbor, Joe, that you see every once in a while, like, I think we all feel this pressure of like, I need to change the world and it can be super overwhelming. And yes, we critically do. We are just barreling into end times. And so on all fronts and it's exhausting, right? We all know that. However, my me changing the world might be something. And and this is something I've talked about, I think on this podcast, if not, here we go, is like my purpose on this earth I've decided and it's changed my life is that I'm here to create moments of kindness for other people. That's it. That's it. I I take post-it notes and Sharpies with me. I put positive and not like toxic positivity, but just like little like kind things. And I'll slap it in a bathroom stall or whatever. And by the way, it's thrilling. You feel like you're doing something like graffiti or well, I don't know, but like this is like my like 
nerdy person's version of like, ooh, breaking the law. But, you know, like I'll go do that or holding a door for someone, you know, just radical things that I'm doing day to day. But that is what I think I'm here to do. I think I'm here to help people smile and remind them that, you know, like just just give people a positive moment. I really think that's why I'm like on the planet. And so that's not like I'm not getting a Nobel Prize. I might make someone smile and, and it's fine. And like, and that's okay. And so if your company or your community or whatever, if you're making a CRM, you know, you're improving people's lives in some way. Are you working to the greater good? Right. I mean, if you're working for like Philip Morrison, like maybe not, maybe that's, maybe that's a stretch. Right. Although I'm sure they have some sort of word salad about what they're doing is great, but uh, it's okay. And, and like, like our company, I think we're really positively impacting people in the sense that we help people figure out ways to do what they want to do to have their own business or side income or whatever and and get their word out or you know live life on their own terms that's how i like to look at it and so to me that's a mission i can get behind i like that we're helping people change their own lives right so i think for all of us and it, whether you're i mean you know i'm sure there's tons of fortune 500 ceos listening to this obviously <laughs> But for all of us in our corner of the world, like that whole changing the world and aligning with that, it's so important, but be okay with it being something small because small, all the little things add up, right? But also just to bring it back to the friendship piece, being a good friend (laughs) is enough to do in this world. There are so many people that don't have close friendships and to just say that you're going to be a better friend to a few of, of your friends is actually enough. I mean, having close social connections increases your chance of survival by 50%. So you literally can save someone's life by being a good friend to them. And I know that that sounds kind of trite and simple, but it's really true. And and I think that oftentimes with talking to young people, there is this great, incredible drive to change the world and make the social impact, which is great. We need it. The earth is burning. Things are falling apart. And you being being a good friend to somebody or impacting one person's life actually is the way that we do that, at least on a small scale. And just to kind of on a day-to-day basis, know that if you're doing that, you're on the right track and you're okay, I think can help with kind of these expectations of kind of having the weight of the world on your shoulders. So I love that. As just kind of like a final, I mean, I recognize I've been all over the place with this. There's just so many things. I'm like, ooh, shiny thing. Let's talk about that. So apologies to you, Smiley, and to the audience if this felt a little scattered. I'm a little scattered. I like scatter conversation. It's more fun and interesting. (laughs) I'm like a squirrel with caffeine and shiny things everywhere right now. As a parting note, and to what you were saying about friendship, let's we'll end end it all with human connection. For those of us, myself included, who are like, oh, you know, I think especially in the pandemic, a lot of friendships have been neglected. Everyone's so busy. What advice do you have, I guess, for people who kind of are feeling that, like that hits home to to reestablish those connections? Do you ever give tips? Yeah. I mean, the books, like I consider the book kind of like a cookbook for friendship with a bunch of different recipes that you can kind of pick up. And if you're not interested in one, you skip one or skip, you know, go to something else. I would say that, you know, just kind of a big thing would just be start, start somewhere, start by reaching out, start by kind of hosting a potluck. If it's got to be virtual and you can't, you know, I think a lot of people, of course, are hanging out in person now, which is, I think, the best and better. But if it has to be virtual, fine, do a virtual meetup, right? Whatever you can do to get people together, just spend more time with your friends, right? I have an exercise in the book where it's kind of says trade screen time for friend time. You know, if you have an iPhone, it's very easy to figure out your screen time for the week. It's two clicks. It's under settings. You can also look at the time you're spending on social media. It doesn't lie. And just make an intention for the next week or the next month to trade some of that time or all of that time for in-person friendship time, just hanging out with someone or going to an event or going to a meetup or spending doing a virtual meetup, whatever it is where you're in with people in real life, I think is what we need. And it's not to say that technology is evil or that social media doesn't have a place and that some of these tools can bring people together. That's 100% true. I use many of them. And 
I think that we'd all be a lot healthier and happier if we spent more time with the people in our lives and showed up more for them. And the other thing I would say is that this is work. It requires effort, right? It's not passive. (laughs) Friendship is not passive. You can't automate it. You can't swipe right. It's not a hack. It's not a funnel. (laughs) It requires effort. It requires reaching out. It requires correspondence. It requires planning. It requires remembering when someone's birthday is or what their favorite food is or, or, or what they need when they're down, all of these types of things that we don't think you think, oh, an adult, I'm an adult. I have friends. That's it. Friendship check mark. Not the case, not the case. <laughs> it's part of being an adult is investing time, energy, space, emotional capacity for the people in your life. If you really want to thrive, if you want to show up for people and if you want them to show up for you. I'm taking this as a challenge to see if a a girlfriend wants to meet me at a local coffee shop to just either work together, have some time or just sit and chill and talk. I say talk shop, but, you know, just hang out. And then that that's like a threefer because you get out of the house, you go support a local business and you spend time with someone you care about. Right. It's beautiful. Yeah. Okay, so let's shift to the rapid fire and then I'll let you get out of here. So as I mentioned before, I'm going to ask you some questions, whatever comes to your head, hence rapid fire. So quick responses as best we can. I try not to ask follow-up questions even though I want to. So we will start with Smiley. When you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, uh, Bob Costas, sports announcer. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Please tell me you did it. Like you had a, a hairbrush. Oh, yeah, I did in front of the TV. Yeah. Yeah, go do it. <laughs> That's amazing. And I love it. How do you define community? Community. A group of people. It's a hard thing to do. A group of people who believe in each other's dreams. Okay. Whether or not you have a bucket list, pretend we do. What is something on that list that you have accomplished in your life or have done? It's a good one. I've written a book. I guess that's, but, uh, ran a half marathon. Nice. Which one? SF half marathon with my sister. And then what is something on your so-called bucket list that you have not done, but want to go to Japan? I dig your answers. Okay. This is going to be a good one. What is a book you think everyone should read besides your own? Of course, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, stolen focus by Johan Hari came out a month ago or so. Beautiful book about attention and Uh, why we can't pay attention anymore. That's great. Okay. I felt like that was a a sign from the universe. His last book is also very good and very relevant to to community called the book before called Lost Connections. I feel like this needs to be the the author I binge next. (laughs) He's great. Okay. You're in the Bay Area, correct? Yes. If you could live anywhere else, where would you live? Uh, Oh my gosh. That's a great question. Portugal. Ooh, nice. Okay. Final question. Smiley, how do you want to be remembered? Ooh, I like that question. I want to be remembered as someone that made people laugh. I love that. All right. So all of your books available on the usual places? Find the books. Yeah, they're all on Amazon. Some of them are in bookstores. (laughs) Sometimes it kind of depends on the bookstore, but you can find the books. Yeah. Find the books. You can find everything about me on my website, smileypozwalski.com. Excellent. And then I know we've been talking about the evils of social media. However, we also use it. What's, what's your handle on the socials? I'm mostly on uh, LinkedIn. So Adam Smiley Pozwalski on LinkedIn and at what's up smiley. Oh, that's cute. What's up smiley. On Instagram and Twitter, although I'm not that active, but I'm there. I'm there. That's okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here. I think this was a really fun conversation that is relevant to all humans because it's all about human relationships. So yeah, thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Jillian. Thanks for having me. Woo. All right. That was Smiley. I hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation as much as I enjoyed having it shiny object syndrome, caffeinated squirrel, and all. Also, I've been craving a berry LaCroix ever since that interview. To be fair, a berry with an E, berry LaCroix, you know, not not a human. 
So Smiley, as I, as I said at the beginning, I mean, this interview, this episode is really about human connection. And I think we're at such a pivotal point as humans. We talked about hierarchy of need a little bit, but I think when you think about generations past, you used to work to survive very much. So like your priority list was much more rooted in survival. And so you go, you work for the man, your whole career, whether it's a good or bad experience, you get the fake gold watch at your retirement party and you get your pension and that's check, check, done, <laughs> did it, accomplished. And it wasn't necessarily about meaningful work. It was about eating, keeping a roof over your family's head. It wasn't necessarily about getting ahead or doing what you were passionate about. And and I realize that's kind of a bit of a trope, but the point is I think we've shifted from you know through the industrial revolution and now where we are as a society to younger generations and, and again not just beholden to generation, but just the climate now is much more that I care more about the type of work I do than making money per se. Like meaningful work is more important to me than the paycheck to a point, right? And a lot of people more and more are feeling that way. And so it's disrupting a bit of the the hierarchy of who's in charge at an office. And we're starting to see the cracks in the armor of these bigger companies where the bosses are like, too bad, this, and people are like, all right, I'm out. And so being able to hold on to high quality talent, the game's shifting. It's I think it's great personally. Let's put the power in the hands of the workers. So some things that I thought just highlights for me when we were talking about office culture and specifically the expectation that people just know how to do it. And whether that's someone, you know, fresh out of school coming into an in-person office and not really understanding the dynamics and the expected behaviors, like where professionalism is really critical versus less and just knowing those nuances or Increasingly, someone joining a fully remote team who's never had any experience like that and understanding how to communicate and what's acceptable. Is sending a Slack at 2 a.m. a good idea? Does it show you're a hard worker or is it annoying? (laughs) Or does it matter because your company has excellent boundaries in place and nobody expects if they get a Slack at 2 a.m. that they have to respond to it? It's important not just in the workplace environment, This is super important in community because if you're running a digital community, for example, thinking about like essentially training your new members, so kind of onboarding, right, on how to participate. What are the rules of engagement? What's cool? What's not cool? Like, where's the line? And really explaining it and assuming people don't have digital etiquette, that is a fantastic thing to think about. A Girl Scout troop has this, right? How do you teach them kind of the rules? Like, how does it work here? It's different than that after school club you're in, even though it's all the same kids. When we're in Girl Scouts, we follow this code. So let's talk about it when you first join and let's all talk about it together, right? So I think these are things that are happening already in many ways, but it's a great thing to think about as a community builder. Or maybe there's a community you just don't feel like you really belong Are there expectations, guidelines? Is there any sort of, you know, for lack of a better term, training to show you and teach you like how you participate so that you can feel more like you know what's going on and feel like you belong or make you realize this isn't for me. So I'll leave it at that. I think this is the type of conversation we should all be having about many things, even if it's just thinking about it by ourselves, I guess doesn't have to be an actual conversation. Although in the lesson of all the employers who spent a bunch of money to be the cool place to work and put in the kombucha on tap, only to find out that had they listened to their employees and asked their employees, like, what is it you want? The employees would have said childcare. They could have skipped the kegs and and added the playroom, right? So it is worth conversations, especially whatever your community is. What are people asking for? What do they want? And that can really help you fill in the gaps with is the 
culture is the ways to connect is it's the best it can be. Are we setting people up for success? And yeah, so go check out Smiley. He's a delight. Check out his books. Hopefully your local bookstore has it in stock. I will leave you with that. I hope this was enjoyable. Please leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts to help us spread the word to other people who are trying to build community. And on that, I will see you next Tuesday. Learn more about Smiley at smileypozwalski.com. That's the word smiley. Pozwalski is spelled P-O-S-W-O-L-S-K-Y. You can also find Smiley on the socials at What's Up Smiley, all one word. Your lead host for the community experience is me, Jillian Benbow. Our executive producer is Matt Gartland. Our senior producer is David Grabowski. And our editor is Paul Gregoris. Sound editing by Duncan Brown. Theme music by David Grabowski. See you next Tuesday.